All right, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Savant Podcast. Special thanks to all of our families and friends who listened to the first episode. Um, we apologize for the audio issues, and we'll try to fix those uh, week by week. But thank you all who have listened and are going to continue listening to this episode. We got a special episode in store for you today. Uh, we have a special guest on later to talk about the NBA playoffs. But first off, we're going to start with our Detroit 2 album review. Big Sean album, fifth solo album from the Detroit rapper. It is a sequel to his Detroit 2012 mixtape. Throughout his career, uh, Big Sean has always been in the shadows of Kendrick, J. Cole, and Drake, especially Kendrick with the Control verse back in uh, 2011-2012 and with their little beef that went on between you know 2015 and 2017. And I've always considered himself, you know, you know, maybe commercially in the same breath as those rappers, but never lyrically or just critically, you know, album wise. I've never seen him. You know, he's always said he's in the top five. I've never seen him that way. Um, but overall, I like this album. I think it's I think it's definitely it's my favorite Big Sean album. I, I think it's his best album. I'll say that. It's his first album since I Decided, which also got, I think it got nominated for the Grammys. I like that album definitely a lot better than, um, I believe it was Dark Side Paradise. I think the production's unreal on this album. You know, we got Hit Boy uh, production all throughout this project. Um, Hit Boy's having a year, that's for sure. Key Wayne, um, love the production by Key Wayne on this project. We have No ID, Mustard, Boy Wonder, DJ Khalil. Lots of great features on here. I definitely think a lot of the features outshine a lot of the verses by Sean. Features on the album include Young Thug, Wale, Nipsey Hussle, Great Anderson Pack feature, Travis Scott, Diddy, Lil Wayne, Ty Dolla Sign, and Janae Aiko. And there's also, um, I believe, three story tracks from Dave Chappelle, Erica Badu, and Stevie Wonder. So what did you think of it, Taj? Your first uh, few listens. Well, I never was like, I never really listened to Big Sean as much as I do with other artists. I say yeah. that for sure. But, you know, like to me, not to, not to disrespect uh, Big Sean in any way, shape or form, but like his music to me was kind of, eh, it was kind of mid. It wasn't like anything extraordinary. So mm-hmm. like, to be honest with you, I wasn't going to listen to the album at first, but on social media, of course, like it got a, everybody said, every, I heard everybody talking about it. Everybody was saying how the album was good how it was a top album of the year. So I wanted to see, see so for myself. And after listening to it, yeah, it's definitely one of the best albums of the year. I wouldn't put it in my top five, but it's definitely in my top 10 or 20, of, you know, best albums of 2020. Yeah, I, I would say, I would say exact same thing. Um, like I wasn't, I mean, I was probably going to listen to it, but I didn't have high expectations for this album. That's yeah. for sure. Even after um, Sean's double, I think a double or nothing project with Metro Boomin, I think that was like two two years ago. That uh, I just remember, like yeah, the beats were their beats were cool. It's Metro Boomin beats, but it was just <laughs> all corny, classic corny Big Sean lyrics. Yeah, and you know, and for those club anthems that he likes to do, a lot of the time it's those corny lyrics. And like I, I always like compare like some people say like Drake has like corny lyrics. 
But if you like, okay, so like Drake's like corny lyrics, you can put that on like your Instagram, like a caption. Yeah. You can't put Big, Big Sean, Sean corny yeah, lyrics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and, and we'll get, there's like one corny lyric that I, I couldn't believe that is on this album. But I, I do like this album overall. Yeah. So my favorite tracks, Gone Life with uh, Lil Wayne. I think that's like the first, uh, uh, he tweeted it. It was the video of Don Life. Un- unreal track. It's got great energy. Um, not too many corny lines. I love Lithuania with Travis Scott. Great banger. Great Travis Scott feature. Uh, Full Circle with um, Key Wayne and Diddy. Love this beat. Uh, I love how like the, um, uh, he has a line where he's like, He's talking about Ye, that he signed to Ye, and then he's like, who's, who dropped his first album when I was in grade 10 to 10 years later, me dropping on the same day and, like, going number one, which is, like, that 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 bar was – I love that bar. I love when, when Big Sean is just introspective and goes through storytelling over, like, the corny the corny bars, the trying to be funny. Don't like that. Sh- I don't like that. Like, yeah. I don't know if he's trying to be Gucci Mane, but it, sometimes it's just really – it just doesn't hit. Uh, love Friday Night Cypher. This is this is a long track, but yeah, they, they got pretty much everyone in Detroit on this. You got T Grizzly, Forty Two Doug, Royce to Five Nine, Boldy James from Griselda, Eminem, Cash Doll, like great. And I love how the beat switches up, and it's not just the same beat, the, the same loop. Yeah, yeah, I love I love that. I love how they did that. Uh, and then uh, Guard Your Heart. Love love that track. I believe I believe that's with Wale uh, and Anderson Pack, but uh, love that track. Um, and what are your what are your favorite tracks? My yeah. favorite tracks are "Lucky Me." Uh, I like how you Good know song. he he like at first the song just starts off slow, but he just like you know like what you just said with the storytelling. Like I love when he like I love when Big Sean does that and he just goes all out because you know because of all the songs that he makes that's like really like corny punchlines and like party anthems. You wouldn't think. Someone has, you know, with the music that he makes, you wouldn't think someone like him would, you know, go into things serious that would make his music interesting. But hearing his like storytelling throughout this album, it, you know, it really puts that into perspective for me. So that that track was, I liked it. That track, um, I liked it. The Nipsey Hustle track, Waiter, and Waiter, uh, tribute to you know Nipsey Hustle with his passing. I think that was that was dope. I enjoyed that. I like the song with uh, Janae Aiko and Ty Dolla Sign. Uh, Janae Aiko and Ty Dolla Sign just singing together on the hook is just amazing. Janae Aiko, in my opinion, is like top five female artists. Like a lot of people wouldn't agree with me, but I think she's a top five, uh, top five female artist out now. And like you said, the song uh, "Friday Night Cipher" with everyone from Detroit, just like you know, representing his his hometown. I think that's amazing. Just getting all the Detroit alumni on that track was dope and amazing. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Those are my favorite songs on the album. Aside from the yeah. you know, other, you know, ones that were more mainstream. Yeah, no, I really, I love like that. The hits. I love that, the Nipsey Hustle track. Like, yeah. I was going to put that in there, but I just, I love Nipsey's verse way more than Sean's verse. Yeah. On that track. Should have been, so it should have been a Nipsey like, song. Yeah, I know. I can tell, I can tell it was, I could tell it was a yeah. Nipsey song. And then Big Sean is just on it, cause I can tell I, cause were they in the same studio? I can't remember if they if they were making the song or if Big Sean and Hip Boy were just in the studio because Hip Boy's got all the Nipsey Hustle stuff. 
So it, it must have been that way, but you could tell that they were they were clearly not in the same room when they meet, made it, and obviously Nipsey's gone and that couldn't happen. But love his verse on there, and the fact that he put him on the album is great. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, so, oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens. No, like, no, all good. I noticed, like, you can tell that with a lot of posthumous, um, you know, artists who, you know, passed mm-hmm. away, you can kind of tell when the song was theirs uh, versus, like, the artists that they give it to because their verse is, like, I don't know. It just it stands out more. And it's not even exactly. because they're past. It's like you could just tell that it was their song and the other song was just a feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. So moving on to worst songs. So the Post Malone song, Wolves, I do not like this song um, at all. You know, the one of my gripes about the album is, like, other than, like, Friday Night Cypher, you know, Full Circle, and, and, you know, there's a few other songs. I don't really get the the Detroit, like, feel to it. Uh, yeah. And this, this song, Wolves, like, you know, we... I think it's like a grown up, uh, grown up raised by wolves or something. I think that's the the oh. hook. But it's just like Post Malone just doesn't sound good, and I don't want Big Sean and Post Malone on a song. Like I don't want it just both doesn't whining. go together. Yeah, it just doesn't because they kind of both got a whining sound, mm. and and Big Sean's trying to like sing on this. <laughs> yeah, you need and it's just <laughs> it's just not you does not diversity hit. on the track. Yeah, exactly. And and I and then okay, so I'm putting body language down. <laughs> okay, so I like Ty Dolla Sign and Janae Aiko on that song, mm-hmm. but Big Sean, like he starts the song off, "Don't just take your clothes off, take the problems off." Like I could not believe. <laughs> and then okay, and then Janae Aiko and then Ty Dolla Sign come in, but like literally as soon as he said that, the whole song, I'm just like. Did he just say that at the beginning of the song? I couldn't believe it. And there was a, there was a few songs on here like like Time In, um, like that's the twenty eighty eight song with Janae Cole. I I like that song, but I just I just didn't understand the placement of it. Like the second half of the album, I love the I think the second half's a lot better. It's just and then that song is just placed in there weirdly and yeah, I feel like he just and it's to just like it repeating. It's a good R and B song, but yeah. I just didn't. I think they should have kept it for their, you know, the next album they do together. She should have put I, it on just, Shalombo. Yeah, exactly. Or or her it, album. It yeah, sound way better on her album. Definitely. Um, but but it's it's not a bad song. I'm just saying, in the scheme of the album, it's just not the best. Yeah. And then, and then I would put the baddest. So this is the No ID track. And I like how the beat starts, but it just doesn't it doesn't change, and it's just like it's constant build up, and there's no. Like there, there, there's no change up on the beat. Like it's just a build up the whole song, and it's just like, and I just don't like how Sean's rapping on it. Love no ID, love his beat, but him in like I just did not like the pairing on that. Yeah, and there's there was a lot of songs where there was like a lot of build up, and then there would be a beat switch at the end. I loved I loved when he did that because sometimes on Sean tracks I just get bored. Like there was a lot of times in this album where I was like mm-hmm. it was almost like a chore to listen to <laughs> even though even though i did like i did like some of the subject matter i like the beats sometimes it's the chore but then when he like switches it up a bit it, it just refreshes it it. yeah mm. and then do you have any do you have any gripes any worse songs on this album i say some of the songs aren't perfect like they yeah. weren't they weren't terrible though mainly the songs where he's just like you know it just like Big Sean, like he he has a tendency, like on some of his like with some of his music to you know just get boring. It's like okay, anything new. So like yeah, 
there was like a few songs on the album where it was just like, okay, this is boring. Let me just like it, there, a mm-hmm. few skippable tracks, definitely. Like yeah, those songs that were born were very skippable. Yeah, and then out of like the songs that I said, I think Wolves is the only horrible song. Like I wouldn't even call it horrible. I just think it's it's the worst song on the album. And there's because there's a lot of good tracks on this album. And it just stands out because I just I just think Post Malone feature that's just for, you know, get that Billboard you know track up yeah. there. I, I think it was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I'm I'm gonna give this album, I give this album eight out of ten. Yeah, I think it's really same. good. Yeah, um, but I just don't think it's it's definitely not the best album of the year. I still think that he will um, get a nomination for the Grammys, even though I wouldn't put him as like top five albums this year. I think he'll get it just because of his name, the fact that he was nominated. Uh, last time out, and I think this is a better album than its last album. Yeah. So, How do you feel about the, the 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 stories? The one you know with Dave Chappelle, Erica Badu. Yes, yes. I Steve didn't. Get I love. I love the stories because it's like the Chappelle one, especially. Yeah, my favorite. Big big Chappelle fan because it almost gives like you know the comedy album kind of feel to it. But I love I love the background music they have and him just talking about Detroit. Love that. All right, guys, so moving on to our sports talk, we have our special guest on right now. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, guys, my name is Arison Vadivelu, and, yeah, i am just been a friend of Noah's for a couple years. And, um, you know, I heard about his podcast in terms of his social media. I thought I'd give him and uh, the other, his other homie issue um, support, and I love their content. So let's get it going, guys. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for joining. Uh, first guest for the Simon podcast. So let's start this off. So what are your biggest takeaways so far from the NBA playoffs in the bubble? Well, biggest takeaways I've seen was how obviously the Clippers collapse. Um, <laughs> everybody, everybody thought they were, spo- they were supposed to be what the Miami Heat are currently in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, the Western Conference finals. They had the talent. Um, unfortunately, some turmoil, I believe, happened during the playoffs. It caused tension between the Clippers. And to be honest, they, they, they just got dominated. They, they have better talent, but Denver beat them in terms of an actual team. They didn't rely mm-hmm. too much on isolation and all that stuff. But, yeah, I'd say the Clippers, probably the biggest disappointment in terms of the bubble um, there's one thing is that the bubble created a new tier of superstars. We got Jamal Murray that's been balling out of control since the first round. Of course, Jimmy Butler redeemed himself mm-hmm. after there was so much turmoil when he got traded from Chicago to Wolves, Wolves to Philly. And honestly, in terms of what they're what Miami's doing, he is the main part. And if Miami does reach reached the NBA Finals, he would have to win a uh, Finals MVP if they were to beat the Lakers, which is highly unlikely. But mm-hmm. the bubble did create a brand new tier of superstars and, of course, expose a certain amount of superstars that we all thought they're originally, like, top five, top ten, and especially if they're hitting free agency this summer. So mm-hmm. a lot of players are going to hurt their value out there. I'll tell you that. In terms of uh, the most surprising team, I'd say this is not the playoffs in general. Would have to be the Phoenix Suns. They they're a great team. They and t- Ricky Rubio, in terms of he may not be like a top ten point guard in my opinion, 
However, he, what he brought to the Suns is better ball movement. Of course, he's a great on-ball defender. And I think, honestly, they just clicked well in the in the bubble. And they have really good – they have a bright future ahead. They're obvious, honestly probably missing a key player. Obviously, maybe Oubre would have made a difference. But with Damian Leonard going crazy with numbers mm-hmm. and got the Blazers in the final eighth seed – it's tough to it was tough to see the Suns not make it, but I'm looking forward to the Suns making some noise, maybe a playoff seed in next season. Yeah, and that's crazy because you know months ago or even you know late last year, everyone was talking about Devin Booker like ah, he needs to ask for a trade, and then they somehow pull it together mm-hmm. right at the bubble, and it looked like them and Miami looked like the most prepared teams. Um, out of everyone through the bubble. You could say Portland, but I think it was just Dame's will is what got them there. Exactly. But they were prepared as hell. Like that, that they played like a unit, them in Miami. We're just on one. The the thing is with Miami, let's say Miami, the reason why of course Celtics are my team, everybody knows this. Mm-hmm. Um Miami, they have great offensive and defensive talent. Yeah. Any that team is full of killers, offensively and defensively. And, like, Celtics, they may have a lot – I should say equal amount of firepower, but the only thing that Miami has advantage of is big men. Like, honestly, yeah. they have, obviously, Bam that's legitimately – like, honestly, he's probably – he's becoming one of my favorite centers in the league, especially with his versatility, a center that can – run the floor like a guard, his passing ability, his defensive versatility, able to guard. Honestly, he could probably guard all five positions if he needed to. And, yeah, I would have to say the huge difference maker would have to be Bam in this series. Of course, Jimmy, but Bam, mm-hmm. would have, they would have to take advantage of the gap that they have in terms of getting into the paint for the Celtics. But what the Celtics have, though, not only they don't have that much experience, but mm-hmm. in order for Celtics to win this series, they would need more from Kemba Walker. That's a hundred percent because Kemba was brought in to do what Kyrie was supposed to do last season, mm-hmm. and I'm happy for Kemba because I watched him since he was in college. Like obviously the game winner, the step back, like everything, and um, mm-hmm. it's really I'm really happy to see him blossom into the guard he is today. Um, and I'm happy that he left Charlotte because he only made the playoffs twice, and it was all he was pretty much swept for for the first like couple years. Yeah, Barbara LeBron. <laughs> yeah, literally. So honestly, it's it's exciting, and um, I'm looking forward if they if Kemba can step his game up. Definitely, I can see the Celtics running away with this. But as I much to say, it's it's hard to see. I have to see. Are they playing today? No, so yeah, we so Lakers are tonight. Yeah, and I, I was gonna ask you because um, Heat and Celtics are tomorrow, and that's that's three days off in an East Conference Final. I don't think I've I've ever heard of that. I don't um, never heard of that. Yeah, so do you think that's do you think that's bigger? Is that gonna be bigger for the Heat that now that the Celtics have the momentum after Game Three? Are the Heat they got more time off, or is this big for the Celtics more? I would honestly. Hmm. I would say it's 50-50, you know what? If you think yeah. about it, in terms Celtics may have – they have a younger core for sure. Yeah. Kemba, I think, is the oldest player on that 
on that uh, roster. He's literally just turned 30. And then, obviously, Miami got the veterans, Goran, and you know what I'm saying? So, everybody on that mm-hmm. team. So, if those vets are resting, ready to go, and Jimmy, I know Jimmy, man, he's going to have that killer instinct. He's like, I'm not going to let that slide again. Mm-hmm. I would say, honestly, it's, next next game's going to be a close one, for sure. It's, it's going to end up being a close game, and somebody's going to end up doing a clutch defensive play or offensive play, just like game one. Mm-hmm. I have a strong feeling because next game is going to make a statement. If Celtics win next game, then they're back in it, and yeah. they actually have a legitimate chance to actually take over this series. However, if Miami yeah. if Miami wins, there's no there's no way stopping them. Like they that whole Miami Heat culture, Pat Riley, like the Don man. Yeah. I have a feeling like the if they if they win next game, Miami, it's over for Boston. Unfortunately, it's sad for me to say, but yeah. Yeah, and I honestly I think the three days off, like last game, Hayward coming back, I think that was huge. That was like huge. Brown and Tatum went off, mm-hmm. and you know he took some pressure off them. And I think mostly his defense was huge. Yeah, um, coming back and into that rotation, like that's a deadly rotation. Mm-hmm. I'm just worried that they they're getting too many days off, and then they can't use that momentum. That's my worry um, too. Because Miami, Miami, an extra day, like you give them an extra day, Eric Spolstra. Um, probably most underrated coach in the league. And, like, even even LeBron days. Even LeBron days, like, I remember there was years where people were like, should we get Spolstra out of there? Yeah, I remember know, that. When when Miami was struggling at the beginning. But he is a hell of a coach. Oh, yeah. And even the last few years, even the last few years, you know, with an aging Dwayne Wade, they were just, you know, creeping into the playoffs or almost getting in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that speaks to Pat Riley as well. Yep. Um. The fact that he trusts Eric Spolstra and, you know, they're getting it done. And I, you know, they're, they've definitely been the most complete team this playoffs. But yeah. we'll see what happens. If if they can pull out this next game, then they'll be facing the Lakers. But, and we'll see what happens there. And that series with the Lakers, I was like, with the, with, with the Nuggets, I, when yeah. I saw that game winner, I was like, whoa. I yeah, was... how, how do the Nuggets respond? To that. that's like that's a heart that's like a yeah. dagger that's like a stab in yeah. the heart man it's i don't know man honestly like I, I, everybody knows for fact Lakers are going to beat the nuggets i was expecting like you know they would take a game or so um what are they up are they 2-0 yeah 2-0 yeah see like and they're playing tonight game, game tonight game tonight yeah, yeah if the nuggets win then okay that's perfect but at the end of the day everybody knows the lakers are going to win the most surprising player, in my opinion, in that series is not going to be Jokic because everybody knows what Jokic is. He's arguably the best offensive center, keyword offensive, yeah. in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll talk about defense with him. Anyways, I would say, honestly, R- Rondo has been a huge factor for the Lakers. Yeah. And everybody huge. everybody like thought like playoff Rondo was a myth. And all that stuff, but like I've watched Rondo. So as I mentioned, I was when he was with the Celtics. Um, he has a thing for showing up in big moments, especially in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And if you look at his stats in the playoffs, like they they average better than his career. Like he knows when to step it up, even if like obviously he's aging point guard. He's not as better. He's not a defensive pest as he's used to be. After mm-hmm. being named for all four defensive teams, um, 
but he knows when the game's on the line, he would make the right play. In terms of like, yeah, I would say Rondo, Dwight. Dwight's been really good for them. Um, even yeah, Dwight's he, been huge. Even though obviously he barely he barely played in the Houston series because of the small ball, unfortunately. But he's providing to keep trying to keep uh, Jokic um, and then Mason Plumlee and all the other big guys uh, on the Nuggets shut down, you know. And tell tell me about so Mason Plumlee obviously on that last play is getting a lot of scrutiny. But yeah, I was okay. So I rewatched the the last uh, the Kuzma the Kuzma shot um, in the bubble before the playoffs. Right, and literally the same thing happened. Plumlee was on the floor. And he followed LeBron like a magnet. And, like, Kuzma was just wide open. Like, wide open again. So, like, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, why they're keeping him on the floor. Maybe they're trying to take away the alley-oop um, in case that happened. But, yeah, they he needs to be off the floor. Mason, like, I followed Mace since he was with the Nets. Yeah, Duke. And, and Duke as well. But mostly I paid attention to him when he was with the Nets. Um, yep. I was closely monitoring him in terms of like Kevin Garnett. The Raptor series. Yep. And when Kevin Garnett was like kind of being like a mentor to him a little bit in terms of like, obviously this is when Garnett was with the Nets, I think for like this two seasons and he went back to uh, the Wolves. I've monitored him in terms of like his progress because he was a starting center for them. Yeah. When right. I think when Lopez was uh when he broke his foot or something again. Right, yes. Um it's unfortunate that like you know, we saw this yeah. happen again, like like twice in the bubble of him doing a defensive mistake. It could be him or it could be Mike Malone, but yeah. We just don't know. But honestly, I think I would probably go for your theory. They're probably trying to prevent the alley oop. Right? Yeah, because it almost it almost seemed like they were they're gonna go to LeBron mm-hmm. no matter what, just because like if Plumlee is on Davis, they have to go to LeBron. Yeah, have to go to LeBron. So I think that was the plan all along. Mm-hmm. But and it was almost like he was calling a switch like mid play. Pre- like, yeah, he was like expecting Grant <laughs> just to go there right away. And then oh my god, Jokic is D there. I know. Oh my gosh, the fact that he like actually got an arm up and he was. I, Blocking the inbound, like that's insane. Here's, Jokic was just. Oh, here's my unreal. theory. Here's my theory. I'm looking at the yeah. stats, and I'm mm-hmm. seeing Paul Millsap averaging n- under 30 minutes. He's averaging like 25, 26 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I followed Millsap's career since he was at the Jazz. Really underrated player during his era with the Jazz and then the Hawks. Um. What I've noticed about him is that he's transitioned his game from a bruising forward of a mid-range shot to um, a stretch. Dude, big. he's been draining threes. He's been draining threes. Exactly. So my thing is that they brought him to the Nuggets for that veteran presence and defensive versatility. He's six nine or six eight yeah. or something. He can guard literally all four. He can literally guard four positions. Mm-hmm. Um, my thing is that like when I looked at the stats when him on the floor and off the floor, they're way better defensively of him on the floor. Yeah. And not only that, if... And offensively. Yeah, exactly. And here's the thing. When Jokic is off the floor, they give they have Millsap as an additional playmaker as well. Mm. He might arguably, arguably be probably the third or... I would say the third best playmaker they have on that team. He's yeah. always been an underrated playmaker in terms of everything, but I'm just don't understand why Mike Malone's not playing 
the 30 or 32, which is 32 would probably be my max due to like his age. Yeah. But like of key defensive moments, like they gotta, they gotta give him some minutes. And I'm sure for a fact after the season, he's going to be gone. Yeah. And if you even look at like that game, if we rewind back to game seven with the Clippers, like I, so Jamal Murray obviously had that crazy second quarter and then, yep. you know, he went to, he went to the bench and I remember at Milson had zero points and then he hit back to back threes. Yeah. And, and I, that, that's, that's when the game like was like, it's over now. Like yep. they had like a five point lead and then he hit back to back threes. He's huge, like defensively, but also offensively. Yep. Um, and I think there was, I believe it was game one, you know, he had an open lane to the hole and he just, he just took it there. They were jacking up a bunch of threes and you know, he's smart. Yeah. You know, they're not hitting threes. He's going to bring it to the hole. Yeah. And he can do that. And look, look what Jokic did to AD last game. Like, yeah, you know, I think they need to take advantage of that when shots aren't hitting. Let uh, me... Because they can't just expect to come from behind all the time. They need to start good, you know, straight from the get-go. Exactly. One quick question for you. Out mm-hmm. of all the teams that are, let's see, we saw a major shakeup in terms of um, a little bit of a shakeup in terms of coaches um, being fired or parted ways. For example, as recently the Rockets, uh, Mike D'Antoni decided to part ways f- from the Rockets. Yeah. And then, of course, the Pacers just fired Nate McMillian after the extension they agreed on. Yeah. And of course, Mike Brown, no, excuse me, not Mike Brown. Um, what's Brent Brown, excuse me, Brown, um, yeah. from, uh, from Philly. So my question is, and of course, the new hiring of Steve Nash. Um, yeah. In your opinion, what is what do you think about the hiring of Nash with the Nets? And then who are, who do you think should be the coaches for the Pacers, Philly, and the Rockets? So so first with the Steve Nash hiring, obviously I was shocked because I nobody um, knew, don't remember <laughs> anything, yeah. anything. But when I thought about it more, wasn't shocked at all the fact that you know he's been in the with the warriors for you know mm-hmm. you know for most of their dynasty mm-hmm. and the fact that he's with steve kerr and also just the fact that steve kerr his first year he went on like went crazy and you know the fact that he was also thinking of taking that new york job mm-hmm. as well and i think i think if he did take that new york job i don't think he'll be a coach anymore mm-hmm. i think any coach in that system i don't think it matters i don't think it matters yeah like uh, I can't remember his name, but who was their last coach? He was Dave Memphis. He's an unreal coach. Yeah. And that, I do not blame that on him. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of flack on him. But they were such a bad team. Yep. That being said, I think I think Steve is qualified. And the fact that Durant and Kyrie made this decision. Like, let's not say, like, oh, are you okay with Steve Nash? No, they want – there's no way that they didn't want this from the get-go – because um, they could have got Ty Lue if they wanted. Mm-hmm. If they wanted Ty Lue, they would have had Ty Lue. The yeah. other um, Clippers um, assistant, they could have had him. Yep. They could have had anyone. They could have had Mark Johnson. Mark yep. Johnson. Or Mark Jackson. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but they wanted St- Steve Nash. And I think, you know, we'll see. I think they're on paper, they're unreal team. And yeah. I don't think it's, honestly, I don't think it's going to matter. Really. Yeah. The coach. I think it'll, it won't matter until you get to that second round conference finals. Game six, game seven, then we'll see what he's made of. But who knows if it even gets to that? They might just blow through the East next year. Here's so. my opinion is that great hiring. I was kind of like obviously a little bit shocked because we didn't no one heard anything. Um, yeah. Sean Marks kept it on the low. So my initial thought was uh great hiring. My exception is without knowing the history, um, is that why did they hire him? 
They could have had um, Dave Fisdale. They could have Ty Lu, mm-hmm. Sam Cassell, the assistant clip, uh, the assistant coach for the Clippers. Right, like more qualified. Even um, David Yoger, Jogger, he coached yeah. the Canadians. He's a nice coach. Yeah. Like that, 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 um, and even like him, Mike Malone went through that. Mm-hmm. Um, Kings. Yeah. That, that just, that's another than the Knicks and the Kings. Any coach that goes through there is yeah. just not going to work. Literally, exactly. So I thought, like you know, obviously, and Mark Jackson, um, you mm-hmm. know, they'll be, they already have the resume to show it. And then, um, I saw a segment of Stephen A. That stupid, that stupid quote that Stephen A. said. Said, it's like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "Oh my god!" So I, I knew, and I knew he was gonna say something. Like and that. I, and then and then, <laughs> I I googled um like the the whole um history of Nash's Sean Marks. Turns out Sean Marks and Nash have a close relationship, uh, friendship because they play together in Phoenix. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, and then also the fact that obviously Nash and Durant uh, worked with each other in in, mm-hmm. in Golden State. Um, so obviously there's the co-sign there. Um, and I would I think is that offensively this team has the potential to be top five in the league. Um, mm-hmm. However, defensively they're gonna struggle probably because mm-hmm. like with uh, Nash's <laughs> Nash has never been a great defender. I always make fun of Nash because of this. He's probably one of the worst defending players of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, he just needs, as long as he has a great uh, defensive assistant coach or yeah. specialist on the team, he'll he'll be fine for sure. Like the Nets, they I have a feeling they know what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. And did you catch him on um, JJ Reddick's podcast? The other I, day? They apparently they wanted he wants to play Durant all five positions. <laughs> Yeah, but he and like he's a smart guy. Like, mm-hmm. before, yeah, he was an unreal player, but he's a smart dude. Yeah, and you know we'll see what happens with that. But back to the Houston and Indiana and yeah. um, Sixers drops. So I just heard, I think it was yesterday or maybe this morning, Billy Donovan's um, the oh, yes. Pacers and the Sixers are interested in Billy Donovan. I think so. I think so. First off, when Dan Tony like you know, resigned, I thought, you know, Sixers. Mm-hmm. But I now that I think about it more, I think Donovan should go to the Sixers. Because, yeah, Mike D'Antoni, yeah, maybe their offense just go crazy. But Ben Simmons ain't going to start shooting threes. Mm-hmm. Um, Embiid, yeah, he shoots threes, but he's not going to just jack up, you know, 10 a game. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think that system is right. But Billy Donovan, what he did, you know, with CP3, with that team this year, um yeah sgh uh and even even having steven adams on the floor using that blueprint for you know Embiid and simmons that might work out because yeah. i think dan tony i think dan tony should go to the pacers i think i think the pacers i think under dan tony i think they can unlock something i don't know for the playoffs but you know for the regular season they could definitely improve on what nate's been doing i think nate was doing a great job mm-hmm. they just you know Swept yeah, they're they're not row. they're not good enough. I think they gotta get rid of Miles Turner. I think they have I agree. to. I agree. Um, somehow, I'm sure. But now with the the cap not going up, most likely, it's gonna be a weird off season. Um, yeah. So and a lot of teams, a lot of teams that weren't even in the bubble, like typically you could have traded Miles Turner to a bottom, you know, team. But now, you know, they didn't get the revenue that they maybe wanted at the end of the season, so they might not be able to take on that contract. I agree. So we'll see what happens. But as for the Rockets job, I I literally have no clue. I think it's just going to be a shock. 
Um, the only people I could think of is maybe like Mark Jackson, obviously Ty Lue. I think Ty Lue is the most likely scenario or Sam Cassell or Sam Cassell probably. Yeah. I think they, they were talking about Sam Cassell. I'm not like late last week after um, Dan Tony resigned. Um, it was either the Cassell or the other assistant assistant that they had. Ron Adams. Yeah. It might've been Ron Adams. In my um, in my opinion, for let's back it up a bit. This is for yeah. the, um, what do you call it for the Philly job? So for the Philadelphia, mm-hmm. um, obviously Brent Brown uh, couldn't get the job done. Like he was good for like the first like couple years when they were in the process era, yeah. but you know leading the team the first taste of playoffs and stuff, but. Mm-hmm. He wasn't that type of coach that would hold his players accountable, especially mm. dealing with Embiid and Simmons. Um, I think yeah. it was an excellent move by Brent to get rid of um, Brent finally. I felt like they should have done it um, maybe a little bit well, yeah, sooner. Now it's, now it's Brand's job on the line, so he and so much had to do something. I, Elton Brand needs to – if he doesn't do – a good hiring in terms of a head coaching decision, he will, he will, his, he will be can based on yeah. his contracts. He gave Tobias and Al atrocious. Mm. My opinion is that once, um, once they find their head, the right head coach, which I think would probably be, um, you said Billy O'Donovan, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I would probably go with Billy O'Donovan um, as well particularly because, as you mentioned, um, they played the three-guard lineup with uh, SVG, mm-hmm. CP, and then um, and then uh, Dennis, right? So mm, right. With, with you go, if you go to Philly, if you play Ben in that uh, SVG role, obviously, obviously uh, SVG is a better shooter. Um, and then you got the, the other dude. I can never pronounce his name. Miles Thibel or whatever the hell his name oh, is. Oh yeah, Matthias Thibel. I don't even know. <laughs> it's like some French. So, yeah, if you got him, and of course you still got Josh Richardson, and you guys, yeah, he had a bad year too. Yeah, had a, like, I was expecting big things. I was expecting. I was expecting him to be kind of like a two point downgrade version of Jimmy, but then his yeah. shooting was horrible, and horrible. I was Worse trying, than Jimmy. Yeah, so. I have a feeling of Billy, at least he can manage those two. As much as I like Embiid and Simmons in the way, they're both divas at this point. Uh, he can keep them in check. 100%. Yeah, my, my only worry is like with the diva thing is the fact that the one year with Durant and Westbrook and that was just that atrocious. Was, but, but you know, he yeah. has maybe redeemed himself. But that being said, like you just had CP3, whose ego obviously dropped down a notch mm-hmm. after the Houston, but still balled out. Yeah. Um, and you know he was in a different scenario. Like I think, do you think CP3 is gonna gonna leave for sure? Oh yeah. Here's yeah. the thing. They're they're definitely in a rebuilding stage in terms of OKC. Yeah. But um, in terms of uh, the Philly, I think they should they would go after Billy Donovan. Yeah. Um, they would need honestly. They would need to figure out what to do with Al Horford's contract because they yeah they need a backup point guard. They like, need. This is, they yeah. I I I I don't know what I don't know what they would do. Like, I would say. I don't even know because like he had he didn't he put up garbage numbers like I was looking yeah. at his, his advanced stats. His mm-hmm. he's not even he makes the Sixers worse. 
on the yeah. floor. So if he made them better, of course he would have value. But like analytics, they're not gonna like that. Yeah, they might oh. have to trade a first with I know. Uh, with him. So, but I mean, it's not like they're gonna need their first. Um, um anyways, but who else? So then we talked about the Pacers. I would say D'Antoni as mm-hmm. well. I agree with you because um everybody on that team can shoot. Like, Brogdon is a light knockdown shooter. This year, he obviously struggled with uh, injuries and everything. But Mm -hmm. last year, he was the 40, he was in the 50, 40, 90 club. um, Or two years ago, something like that. Um, No, no, last year. Last year, yeah. Milwaukee. So, with him and then Oladipo, who has gradually improved since his days in Orlando and obviously staying with OKC as Mm -hmm. a three-point shooter. Um, obviously with him being back healthy and then that one of the holiday brothers, um, if they get one of them, I think Justin, Justin, I think he's the better one, right? Yes, I believe so. Might be. Um, so anyways, everybody on there can shoot. And, um, I just think they need to get rid of Miles Turner. Great player. I love Miles Turner. Great defensive, um, anchor in the middle and the inside, but in terms of him and Demonis playing, it's just mm-hmm. it's just an awkward fit. I think as soon as they find a trade, I feeling they're gonna trade Miles over the summer, um, well, not summer, excuse me, <laughs> over uh, the off season. Uh, I think they're gonna find some trading partners, and once they trade, I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna make an announcement um, for their coach because I think uh, Dan Tony <laughs> will, will unlock some potential as you mentioned, maybe not in the playoffs, mm. but at least maybe the best. Uh, a second round and then that's it. What was the other team where we talked about that guy? Uh, Houston. 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 Oh man. Houston's gonna be they would need to go after a guy like Sam Cassell, as you mentioned. I look at Sam Cassell in the way. He was a great complimentary point guard back in his day of Garnett with the Wolves. Here's my thing. Cassell's been an assistant for over fifteen years, roughly. Um, he's worked with great point guards on their game. John Wall, Chris Paul, Lou Williams. And of course he's got like that. No nonsense personality. Like if you mm-hmm. can, if he turned John Wall into the player that he, well, we don't know who he is post two yeah. years hiatus. I have a feeling he will keep both James and Russ in check. Like yeah. I've, he's a point guard himself. So he can actually maybe help evolve their games. In yeah. my in my opinion, and also he has a championship uh, as an assistant. I no no he has a championship as a player playing as a mm-hmm. backup guard for Doc in 08, Right, so yeah. for Houston, I think they would go after they sh- they would go after him or Ron Adams. But honestly, I would say Sam Cassell would be their best bet. To be quite honest with you. Yeah, and I think they at this point they gotta go for a winner, someone who's got yeah. a title, whether it be playing. Cause like you know, before Dan Tony, obviously they had Kevin. The, yeah, Kevin, but I think that the JB Brick and staff. I can't remember. He was the uh, he was the Wolves intern for a bit, but they had him for a bit. But yeah, Kevin oh, yeah. Kale before that was our last was their last kind of winner as a coach, and mm-hmm. obviously that didn't work out. Um, but yeah, they got they got to switch up to a winner because. I mean, obviously, I'd caution Indiana from hiring D'Antoni just because, you know, they got the fourth seed. How yeah. are they going to get higher than the fourth seed in the East? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's, they just, they're going to have to switch it up and improve somehow. 
because their mm. offense was already pretty good. I think Sabonis being injured, I think that was huge against them. Yeah, maybe they yeah. steal a game against Miami, maybe two. They but I think still only one. He, yeah, he's their he's their player. He's their player, and yeah, um, they needed him. You know, and I've watched I've watched Demontis all season, and yeah. um, the if he develops that three point shot, and he could be a more like his dad. Like his dad, literally, but he—he's really—he's pretty. He, I don't—I think he's not bad. He's above average defensively. So mm-hmm. if he ever develops a three-point shot, he can be as deadly as Jokic, but with the de- with defense, of course. Yeah, I, I remember in that um that last LeBron series where they took them to six or or seven. It was seven. I remember he he was guarding you know on switches. He was guarding LeBron a few times, and he was actually. And I think that was like his third year, maybe first year yeah, in Indiana. Third, third year, first year in Indiana. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. No, he was. I remember being impressed that he was mm-hmm. able to guard because you know he was unreal in college. Even his first year, first two years in OKC. Yeah, great player. Um, but uh, yeah, they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to move Miles Turner first if they're gonna want to see any improvement because just mm-hmm. putting D'Antoni in there is not is not going to do anything. They're going to have no. to give him more space on the floor for sure. I do have one more topic before we uh, – before I had to go uh, – yeah. before we go. What do you think is next for the Clippers? What do you think they should end up doing based off this horrible, disappointing playoff exit? So, obviously, you touched on, you know, the potential turmoil that, you know, may have happened and, you know, maybe we'll know, you know – in the next few months. And it's funny you say like in the summer, cause actually a lot of people on ESPN, they keep saying this summer as talking about free agency, but mm-hmm. I think first they got to fire doc and I don't, I'm not hundred yep. percent. I don't think, I don't think they're going to fire him. I think they're, they're going to give him another shot, but I think that's the wrong move. They gotta, they gotta let him go. Like he, I, yeah, I know he's a great coach, but he's choked way too many times in these big moments. Yeah. He, you know, he's got to wait. But mm-hmm. that's that's a long time ago, mm-hmm. and you know they're gonna have to move on. Like, and also I think they're gonna have to move on from one of Harold, William, Lou, yeah, one of Lou or Harold, because you know clearly you could see something was up. You know, even even in the Dallas series with you know Harold, you know calling out Luca and then having to apologize for it, and then mm-hmm. with Lou with the you know, strip club instrument or incident mm-hmm. and being a distraction. And the fact that he's like, after they get out, he's like, oh, I'm going to trademark for lemon uh, pepper Lou. Like the fact that you, you decide to do that after you guys just get embarrassed and you think, oh, that's the most important thing that's on my mind right now. One of those guys got to go. Yeah, um, for sure. And I would, yeah. And I would even entertain trading PG. You know what? I, I mm. would, I would even entertain that. Because mm. I think they are a better team if they if you put Kawhi on that team from last year without mm-hmm. PG, I think they're better. I think they're better than the Raptors team of last year. Like mm. I, I'd say that. You know who knows uh, how far they go in the West? Yeah. But I think I think PG he just can't perform in big moments, and obviously we you know everyone was saying that coming to the playoffs and he had those you know bad games at the start started heating up. But he just can't play in game six and seven for whatever reason. So. I'd say for me, for the Clippers, I was shocked that they got Doc. They kept Doc because as we as we both discussed, uh, as you just mentioned, excuse me, he does have the OA tub. However, the game has evolved since then. You have Kendrick Perkins as your starting center. That's not going to work in today's NBA. 
And you know what I mean? Of course, like, he's a great player's coach, I would say. But um, a rumor has it that the reason why is because Kawhi Leonard wants him there. I'm not yeah. sure why. Um, but as you mentioned, he's choked too many times. He's blew, I think, three times. He's blew three to one uh, leads. Mm-hmm. Um, that's unacceptable for a championship caliber coach from his in his tier. Um, so that's my thing is that they should have canned him um, and probably look for somebody else in terms of like championship pedigree. Um, you know what I mean? The second thing is that I agree with you. They would need to move on from Trez or uh, Lou Williams. I've Lou Williams ever since he got his thing done at Magic City with the salt and pepper wings, he hasn't been the same. Like I like was one game. I think it was game four. The game that I think it was game four. Yeah, I think it was game four or five. That was the most questionable coaching tactic I've seen Doc do in years. Um, so Pat Beverly, uh, as much as people dislike him, I don't like him as a like. You know what I mean? I, I just think he's a good defensive guard. Um, mm. I don't think he warranted uh, first or second team that he got. But as I mentioned, his do- his job is just to bother opposing guards and trash talking in their heads. He did. Um, he stopped an offensive play, like a key, like steal mm. or a key charge or something. Doc subs him out for Lou Williams, mm. and I was just like, okay, like maybe Lou is like heating up or he's ready. Two minutes in, Lou. Chucks a three, doesn't get it, and and then he gets scored on by Jamal Murray. Yeah. So, I they needed it's him, and then you got Montrez Harold, unacceptable. His production that series of thirteen points and two rebounds. Yeah, his defense was atrocious. And like... I am st- like, of of course they're great like bench heaters for any team, but here's the thing: I've always thought you have two potential six men of the year. His egos are going to crash there. I want more touches as the sixth man. I want more touches. Mm. My thing is that they want to keep both. I would decrease Lou Will's minutes because due to age, he's 35. Mm. And Mm. also the fact is that he is um, not as efficient as he was during his Raptors or even his Philly years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what I mean? Or his short tenure with the Houston and the Lakers. Um, I'll probably, yeah, literally. I would probably give a little bit more of his minutes to Shamit. Yeah. Main no, I was wondering why they didn't. I know, like, I remember in the bubble, he was playing um, playing quite a few minutes. Yeah. And he was, he made some pretty bad plays. But, I don't know, he's a more consistent three-point shooter. Exactly. So. And here's my thing is that they, if I think Sham was averaging like 20, no, 19, 19 yeah. or 20 minutes. And Lou was averaging, I think, 25 or 26. If you yeah. give Lou, like, the 21, 22 and give the rest of them to Shamit, um, I have a feeling like Shamit, he was, like, he has the potential to be a great 3 and D. He just needs to bulk up a little bit more and mm-hmm. improve a little bit in his uh, team defense. Because what I've seen, he's picking up players half court already, right? So I would say that, and if, I would say honestly, we got. I hope they don't resign Montrez Harrell, but I have a feeling they have a mutual interest. Yeah. So that's my opinion on both of them: is that decrease Lou Will's minutes, give a little bit more to Sham or Terrence Mann, mm-hmm. even Terrence Mann. Trez is just 
got to figure his stuff out in terms of what he can do as a rebounder and defender, even facilitate or develop a three-point shot. My next thing is in terms of Paul George and the Kawhi Leonard tandem. I really think next season is a do or die for both of them. Yeah. Um, Because they're both uh, eligible to be opt out out of their contracts after next season. I do as much as I love Paul George's. I'm have no, I have no, um, I'm not embarrassed to say this. Like he's my favorite, him and choir, my favorite players in the league in terms Mm -hmm. of offense and defensively. Yeah. Um, but what I just saw was a straight choke show from the whole Clippers team. And Paul yeah. George, I've seen him ball out when he was with the Pacers and Facts. big moments. People do forget that in terms of him dunking on Chris uh, Anderson, Birdman, mm-hmm. crossing LeBron over and everything like that. Uh, I just think they have one year to try this out. And if they bow in the second round or they don't end up winning, they're going to break up the core. And I think, honestly, PG... I think who is this? I think it was Stephen A. Smith say said that Paul George might be the next Dwight Howard, but then I disagree mm. with his I disagree with his opinion in terms of a yeah. journeyman and all that. I disagree because Paul George is a versatile two way player. He can defend, shoot if whenever he heats up, facilitate in a way, and then defensively he's a pest. So he can complement any team that as like a I don't believe is a second option. I truly believe at this point of his career, in his age thirty, he's better as a third best player on the team. Yeah. In my humble opinion. But I still think he holds value in this league. Um mm-hmm. I just think that in terms of next season for the Clippers, they would need to make a few moves. I'd say rumor has it they want to get Derrick Rose. Mm. Um, I don't know how that's gonna work. Yeah. Um, but I'd say like, yeah, next season do or die for Clippers. If they don't do anything, the bomb's gonna blow up, and they will have to restart from scratch after next season. If they bow out, no, no championship or bow bow out in the in the earlier rounds. So, in my in my to end things out right now, I'd say mm. like next season if they don't end up doing anything, if Paul George doesn't end up taking this as a lesson, even for Kawhi. Kawhi Leonard, this is like what LeBron had in 2011, the meltdown in the finals. This was Kawhi Leonard's moment, mm-hmm. 100%. And kind of like Paul George, when Dwayne Wade was carrying all the score load in the 2011 finals, if you remember that. Yeah. he LeBron was kind of passing off, not like doing too much in the fourth quarter and all that right. stuff. So in my opinion, those this series was a key moment for both Kawhi and Paul George's um, careers, it can they can either take it as a good way to improve themselves, or you know what, if they get it, if they're mentally as strong as we both thought they were, especially Kawhi Leonard, can turn ugly. But the Clippers have a lot of work to do. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah, no, and honestly, like I think their problem, like bringing in a guy like Derrick Rose, I think is a mistake because I mm-hmm. think their their problem is. Having these guys, you got you got Kawhi Leonard, you got Paul George, you know, A1, mm-hmm. you know, type guys. You got Montrez Harrell, who was, you know, the one of the best guys in college at Louisville. Yep. You know, all these alpha guys, Lou Williams, Mar- even Marcus Morris. Marcus mm-hmm. Morris was a stud at Kansas. Like, all these yep. guys that are studs 
who have been, you know, at one point the number one option on their teams. And just, mm-hmm. I think, bringing all those guys together, yeah, they play good defensively. Mm-hmm. But practically, at, at the end of those games, you know, game six and seven, everyone was just trying to get their own shot. You know, yep. everyone was trying to jack up shots, and they weren't playing team basketball. And exactly. I think that speaks more to Doc Rivers, because I think he could have done a way better job in the game plan. The mm-hmm. fact that you have all these alphas, and he's just got to do a better way to create offense for them. But I think, yeah, definitely Doc and then getting some of those, you know, role players out that think they're alphas, that it's just the whole ego yep. is just affecting them. But Here's the thing before I let you go. Yeah. The reason why, my opinion, the reason why Doc went away with KG, Ray, Cassell, and Rondo, and Perkins is because those guys were in their 30s. They're already near the exit of their primes, or in this case, Ray Allen was the end of his prime. Those guys were ready to sacrifice. They didn't mm-hmm. care about Eagles or nothing. Unlike the Clippers, they're all in their prime still. And you know what I mean? Right. So, of course, Doc was easier to manage that. But Doc has never had the opportunity to manage uh, like a trio or f- four. Those amount of guys in terms of in their prime that all were number one options at one point, right? Mm-hmm, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but anyways, I will let you go. I know you awesome. Go get to work. Thank you um, thank so you much, so Noah. much, man. Thank you so much for coming on. All uh, good. We're definitely going to have you on soon. Yeah, um, all good, man. But yeah, you know, best of luck at work. And we'll have you on in a few weeks, brother. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you, Noah, for having me. All right, guys. So now moving on to our New York 2010s playlist breakdown. So we spoke about this last week on the pod. We will be releasing it tonight uh, with the artwork and all. So... Uh, we have, you know, obviously we spoke of the big artists that we have on the playlist last week. Also, um, underground artists that, uh, issue spoke of Justin Starling, P Muna. We also have Dylan Cooper in there, Torrey and issue high himself. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to go through some of my favorite songs from the playlist. So, you know, first off we got Canal Street, ASAP Rocky, um, classic ASAP song, um, at long last ASAP. Um, his, my favorite album of his, uh, this generation <laughs> tribe called quest, uh, amazing, amazing song about, you know, Q-tip, uh, Q-tip and five talk. They're going back and forth talking about, um, I think they start, they're like Chris Paul, John Wall in the league. And then, and then they talk about, you know, J Cole and Kendrick and, you know, Earl being the new generation and they kind of pay homage to this generation and like the line from you know, Chris Ball to John Wall, kind of the passing of the torch. Love that line. Then Distance, Beast Coast. Love this track, you know, from the, the start of, you know, Joey starts it off, then Issa Gold comes in. Love the energy. Uh, Jay Critch, Thousand Ways, beat by Harry Fraud. Amazing uh, New York song. Uh, 2000 Seasons, Talib Kweli. Uh, this was... I believe it was a, a lost, kind of like a lost tapes kind of format. It sounds like, it sounds like Talib, like early t- 2000s Talib, um, late 90s, but obviously came out in the 2010s. Love this track. Uh, and then Downtown by Justin Starling. Banger. Love this banger. Um, <laughs> I believe it's, it's 20 Great Teen, right? Is the yeah. album. Yeah. I love, love this album. Love that. That's my favorite song off the album. Rain Dance, phase one intro, uh, The Underachievers. Definitely recommend checking out this music video, one of the trippiest music videos I've ever seen. Uh, they incorporate a few different songs in there, but Under Retrievers, very underrated um, group from Flatbush. 
And then Easy Rider, Action Bronson, love the vibe on this track. Action, you know, even though I hate, you know, Ghostface is probably, you know, my favorite um, New York MC other than Biggie. And, you know, it does annoy me sometimes the fact that he just sounds so much like Ghostface, but love this track, love the production. Uh, Marcy Me, Jay-Z, uh, this is probably my favorite song off 444. The fact that, you know, he starts starts it off with, you know, the Biggie line from Unbelievable, live from Bedford Style, like, oh, unreal. Um, and love the video that he did. Loved all the videos that he did for 444. And then lastly, The Hatred, Dave East, you know, they, they hated Jesus, they hated Martin, they hated Malcolm, Unreal Hook with Nas. And so what are your, what are your, some of your favorite songs off these playlists? Well, Justin Starling, Downtown, for sure. That mm-hmm. one is dope. I found out that, I found out about that song when I first listened to the album in 2018. I talked about it last episode. Yeah, yeah. Like that whole project in general was good. But yeah, that was definitely um, one of the best songs I heard off the album. And stuff like he got some good hooks. You know, his verses are very good. Um, Marcy Me by Jay Z, of course, because Jay Z is a honestly, in my opinion, top five rapper of all time. Not a top five artist, but a top five rapper of all time. Like I, I feel like a lot of people kind of mash those together, but like mm-hmm. if you separate it, rappers and artists are two different things, in my opinion. Right. Facts. I feel like rappers. You know, you know, based off of strictly rapping, like you should have a top, you should have your top list of rappers, and for like artists, artists who like do different things outside of rap, who often sing and produce and create mm-hmm. and like with visuals. So like you know, those two things I like to separate it personally. So yeah, uh, definitely Marcy Me with Jay Z, Downtown by Justin Starling, yeah, just to name a few. Yeah, I know, like. You know, with going through that, you know, artist first, you know, rapper breakdown, I kind of, I kind of compare it to, you know, if you look at a Kanye West and obviously yeah. we would say Jay-Z's, you know, a better rapper, um, even though I think some of Kanye's highs are a bit higher than Jay's, as mm-hmm. an MC and as a lyricist, Jay-Z's definitely better. Um, but as an artist and the fact that, you know, I just look at, you know, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Like, I think that's Kanye's best rapping, but best artistry, if you want to call it that. The fact, you know, the production behind that, the scale of that album, you know, the you know the amount of time that took to make that project. But that being said, you know, we're not going to say, you know, most people won't say Kanye's the better rapper, but I would say he's the better artist. And, yeah, he's you know, the better people, artist. People who, you know... They decide, you know, what beat, and I'm sure Jay Z does that, but he's not making every beat, and you know, he he does have, you know, the artist decision to decide what beats he wants to rap on, but on a larger scale, he's not producing the beats for yeah. the raps that he's writing. So I would I would use that comparison, but you know, moving on now, so we're gonna talk about some of the new songs that came out this week. So we have um, a little, you know, two song pack from Baby Keem. Um, our first song is from Baby Keem, you know, since his album uh, from last year. Die for my um, B word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, love, love that album. Yeah, and these songs are incredible. Like, oh, Hood- Hoodlum, that song, like the whistling in that song, like it's like you know, I I can't, I'm trying, to th- I tried to think of like other songs that had whistling, and obviously you know, Chill Bill comes to mind. But, oh, just the, you know, the piano, how it starts and then how he, he gets in there. It's unreal. It sounded, 
you know, I would say the second song, the freestyle, I think that sounded a lot like the sound and some of like, obviously the freestyle songs he had on die from a bitch. But you know, (laughs) the first song I'm so stoked for what he does, you know, with this upcoming album, Mm -hmm. this song, like, Oh, it was incredible. And I, I think, I think baby Keem is definitely after this song. I think he's the hottest artist out right now. Yeah, um, you know he's not releasing. He's not releasing. You know the most music, but you know it's sometimes that's better. Music. Quality exactly. over quantity. Yeah, you could tell I, he's kind of taking a Kendrick approach. Mm-hmm. You know to everything. Yeah, because his double XL freshman um freestyle. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, no, I haven't seen it. Like, oh well, if you if, if when you whenever you do watch it, his double XL uh, freestyle is like different from the music that he's releasing, given to us. Yeah. So I definitely say. You know, I wasn't ex- like I was expecting hype. You know, hype music, Baby King with the cool punchlines and the. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he raps a lot about females. I I noticed mm-hmm. that about him. But yeah, um, his double XL freshman. After listening to after listening to his album Die for My Bitch and with the freestyle, you know, it was like, you know, it was confusing for me at first or whatever because he he took a more X approach to the freestyle like. Mm-hmm. No beat or any no well it wasn't any beats or anything but like you know acapella dark freestyle wasn't really any punchlines it was just like I felt like he was just talking but mm-hmm. you know with the two new songs that he dropped um, I feel like in a way he kind of mashed those together with both songs because um, mm-hmm. the song Hooligan which is my favorite out of the two songs that he dropped I feel like it was hype music as well as that serious side of Baby King that we don't really get like that but he he you know teases us with occasionally. And Sons and Critics was just, that's like a hype song. Like, mm-hmm. it, 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 it gets you pumped up and energized when listening to that. So, like, when he dropped it, I was, I was excited. I was happy that he dropped it. So, he dropped Hooligan, which is one of my favorite songs at the moment. Mm, yeah. yeah. So stoked for that upcoming album. Hopefully, it comes out before the year's end. Hopefully. But moving on. So, we, it was about a week and a half ago, Conway dropped a, a new album from uh, King to a God. Um, Lord. on yeah, or from from Lord to a God is a Lord to a God. From no, it's from uh, from from King to a God. From King to God, right, right, right. Love, love this project. We were we were thinking of doing a review, but we're definitely just gonna do you know in a few weeks we're gonna do a Griselda just episode. And yeah, Griselda incorporate a playlist with it. Yeah, they deserve their own episode. Yeah, they they deserve their whole hour long conversation. Yes, Griselda. <laughs> They, hottest thing they out. have hottest thing out, hottest thing out, like no, no cap. Yeah. And like pray for Paris dropped this year, Lulu with alchemist and you know, Benny, Benny, the butchers, the black soprano family dropped um, yeah. DJ fly drama did the beats, but like, I'm so stoked for their next album because uh, what would, what would Sheen Gun do? Um, unreal album on that top five like mm-hmm. album of that year. And honestly, I call that a classic album. Like now, yeah. like there's so much of their music where it's like, I'm getting the feeling, you know, that I don't get like that. I only get when I'm listening to like ready to die or like life after death or, mm-hmm. you know, the black star album or, you know, my beautiful darkest fantasy. Like I'm just, it's this raw motion where it's like, I'm getting adrenaline and goosebumps every line they, they mm-hmm. rap. Yeah. And it's just like, it's incredible. Like I love, I love this new movement that they brought upon, and I think it's on on Spurs three. You know, uh, Conway he has a line about how 
you know, go ask Envy, go ask Joe Biden, who's, you know, leading this new, um, movement. you know, this new, this new movement. And everyone's trying to sound like Griselda now. Even and me, to be honest. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm going to be honest, like, after that, what would Sheen Gun do? I was like, I want to fucking make music like Griselda. I was like, this yeah. is like, it is, like, not just because it's like hard and it's, you know, it, it bumps. It's because it's like, it sounds like 90s hip hop. Like, it is it's like they teleported from the nineties and like are just making like straight nineties rap right now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Derringer, um, the producer that they use most of the time on real beats all, all the time, all the time. Yeah. And, and now like at the start of the year, I was dropped. I was like, you know, maybe West side is my favorite. And yeah, then it was like, yeah, Benny. yeah. yeah. And yeah it was like, like... Benny. but now I like Conway, man. I think Conway. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. That's crazy because I was thinking yeah. the same thing. Because at first, when you you don't you, you were the one that put me on the Griselda because before yeah. that, I didn't even know who they were. Yeah. So when I listened to their first album, I didn't know all their voices or whatever when they were rapping. I'm like, all right, it's, mm-hmm. it's three, three, it's three of them. Mm. So after listening to Pray for Paris and listening to. Westside, Westside's album. His, I liked him the most at first because his voice was mm-hmm. so unique, and I, I never heard anybody with a voice like his when he's rapping. Mm-hmm. Still sounds so cool. So when it did, so when I did listen to it, I'm like, okay, I already got my favorite. Westside Gun is my favorite out of the trio. Yeah. Then Benny dropped. Then I listened to uh Tana Talk Three, and yeah, oh. Benny Benny just got bar, bars for days. He just ninety seven hove. Oh, yeah, ninety-seven whole song. Uh, the track oh. of, uh, Royce, uh, Royce the Five Nine. Yeah, the, the track with West Side. Crazy, oh. yeah. And so then he was like my second favorite, and Conway was at third. After listening yeah. to Lulu, I was like, okay, Kanye is good, but I don't see, you know, I still like yeah. West Side Gun the most because it's his, because of his unique voice. But mm-hmm. after listening to the album that he dropped, um, what was it, Nine Eleven? Yeah, he's yeah, he's probably the best out of the group. Yeah, dude, like, and, like, I, because I've been making uh, Griselda plays for a few months now, and I've been going back to all their songs, and literally the best, Griselda, when they're all on the same track, the best songs are when Conway starts it off, and he just comes with that energy, and his flow is just so, like, they're all, they're all incredible. I don't know what it is, because, like, you know, because he's kind of got, like, a mumble, because, he's you know, he got shot in the face. Like yeah. he's got this this delivery that is just it's very obviously I I say fifty you know cent esque mm-hmm. just because you know after you know fifty got shot you notice you can hear the delivery yeah. mm-hmm. but I've only known Conway with this delivery and it's just like it's so raw yeah we we got we, we'll do a whole episode on Griselda Definitely. weeks and we'll drop like we'll drop like I was literally like. I, I remember I was thinking I was I was gonna do a thirty pack playlist, but that we we're doing a hundred pack playlist because they're literally there's like a hundred songs where I'm like they're yeah. like classics almost. Like, and like, it's yeah. unbelievable. Me too. I got a bunch of songs that aren't even New York rap songs, but it's just purely for hip hop heads, and mm-hmm. that's what I you know what we're doing is kind of it's special in a way because it's just mm-hmm. it's just mainly for like occasionally we're gonna tie into obviously other artists who don't really make hip-hop rap music i'm pretty sure we'll tie into you know artists like frank ocean and mm-hmm, you know brent exactly. fias daniel caesar etc but you know just purely for hip-hop heads like we got everything here so that's you know yeah yeah exactly and then so you you also released a track last week you were talking about it the the longest interlude um i can't get enough <laughs> interlude yeah. so just dropped last week 
Uh, I know you spoke on that, but just tell everyone where they can uh, listen to that. Well, uh, the interlude is is on all platforms. It's on Tidal, SoundCloud, Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, Deezer. Even though I don't know if people use that in general, it's on mm-hmm. Amazon Music. It's on iTunes as well, so you can literally buy it, buy the ch- song for a dollar. Um, but yeah, the I I can't get enough the longest interlude. I told you that this, the, you guys the story last episode that it started off as a song with a totally different beat on it. It went it went through like three, four beats, to be honest with you. Started as a beat, then I put it on SoundCloud, one version on SoundCloud off of a, a loop I made on GarageBand uh, because the original beat, I, I couldn't use it because it wasn't my beat and I, didn't, I couldn't, you know, get the rights to that. So then mm-hmm. I just, you know, I found a different beat for it and put the same lyrics and I added my own little clips, you know, little clips at the end of the song. But yeah, it's basically called The Longest Interlude and I made it um, the song The Limp of Usually how an interlude is, interlude, you know, not really a long song, but it's just something in between. And that song for me is kind of the transition from the music I've been making into the music I will be making. So I'm going into a more boom bat style Mm -hmm. of music. And you'll definitely hit that with my next song that I'm dropping in October. So, yeah, it was just kind of like a transition track from the songs I've been making to the songs I will be making because the songs I had been making, a bunch of love songs and stuff like that. So I put that with the boom bap and I can't get enough as a mix between boom bap and love songs. So now I'm going into boom bap. So, yeah. Yeah, man, I love, I love the song. Um, so everyone go stream that and go stream issues, other songs that he's released all year. Um, but this wraps up our episode two, uh, special thanks to Arison for joining the episode uh, you can go follow Arison on Twitter at airvz3, all lowercase, and on Instagram at avz3, V-E-E-Z-Y. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for listening to episode two. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to be doing a Jay-Z discography breakdown with Arison. He'll be back on. Uh, next so episode, stay... right? Yeah, next episode, actually. Okay. So stay, stay tuned for stay that, tuned. guys. Definitely stay, stay tuned. tuned. All right. Peace out, guys.